0: Please open God's Word with me to 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to look at verses 1 to 4, and then we're going to jump to the end and look at verses 50 to 58. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Lord, through the Apostle Paul, gives us a glorious revelation about the resurrection in Christ that we've been granted. Here, Paul is going to remind us, that Christ's resurrection is what grants us the assurance of our salvation, our sanctification, and even our glorifications. So listen as I read verses 1 to 4 and then 50 to 58. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, the gospel I preach to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word, I preach to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ Messiah died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he says this, beginning in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Certainly not. Saints, the word of God here and in many other places today we'll see Reveals to us our greatest hope in the world and for all eternity. We see that just in this glimpse of 1 Corinthians 15. And I I want us to this morning to set our minds on things above, on this very thing itself. I want us to set our minds on the hope that Paul is proclaiming to us in the resurrection power of Christ. And I want to do that by seeing what God's word reveals to us about that very power that Christ revealed to us through his resurrection. Now to help you set your minds on that I'm going to give you an outline to follow. An outline that will help you set your minds on this glorious truth that we're about to encounter as we go through God's word. First of all God's word reveals to us that Jesus' resurrection was prophetically revealed. It was prophetically revealed In order to grant us confidence in God's promises, the promises of his word, it was prophetically revealed to grant us confidence in God's promises. Secondly, God's word reveals that Christ's resurrection was supernaturally announced, supernaturally announced. And it was done that way to grant us present joy in a sinful world. Thirdly, God's word reveals that Jesus' resurrection was physically verified, physically verified to grant us eternal justification before God. And lastly, God's word reveals to us that Christ's resurrection is, is powerfully evidenced in those who believe. It's evidenced in those who believe in order to assure us That we are united to Christ. Let's begin by just going back to where I took you last Sunday. Because it's such an important text regarding this subject. And also, it's fresh on your minds, I hope. So go with me back to Isaiah 53 this morning to see the first point. I want us to go there because it clearly reveals that Jesus' resurrection was prophetically revealed To grant us confidence in God's past promises. Look there with me. Isaiah 53, we'll be looking at verses 1 to 12. Paul brought this out a little bit this morning, that that God's prophetic announcements, his revelation to us about the Messiah, about who he would be, where he would be from, what he would do. Those are all granted to us to give us as Christians confidence in God's promises. And and the entire plan of redemption is given to us in that way in the Old Testament. It's foretold by many of these Old Testament prophecies. But I think in particular, this this one beautifully summarizes all of what God's promised us in one simple, concise chapter. So let's look at. 53 1 to 12 once again and be amazed and rejoice in this glorious revelation that's given to us from God's word who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. Uh, He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us shalom, peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Transgressors. It's a glorious chapter in the Old Testament to just reflect on all the time, actually. Here in this chapter, like I said, I think that Isaiah beautifully summarizes the entirety of the plan of redemption for us. We have in this chapter, like I said last time, a glimpse into Jesus' amazing and humbling incarnation. We see his atoning sacrifice for the sins of his people. And then it doesn't stop there. It continues on toward the end to give us the revelation of his glorious bodily resurrection. That's all promised here in this revelation. But, but I have news for you. If you stop in Isaiah 53, you don't get all the picture. There's more to it. There's more to this prophetic promise, revelation that God's given us to, to ensure confidence in us. In God's promises. This prophecy is given for that very reason. I hope we understand that. It's not just a historical narrative or a historical story or a historical statement or a prophetic promise that we have not yet seen come to pass. Now this has happened already. We know this for certain. And so this is given to us to cultivate in us who believe a deeper faith and a deeper love and a deeper praise to the one who saved us by his grace. It's to cultivate faith and praise in God's covenant people for eternity, now and for eternity. And it's given for that reason because this, this prophecy of Jesus' death doesn't stop there, right? It doesn't stop there. It also reveals that the one who was slain will live again to ensure the redemption and preservation of all God's covenant people. We hear that promise continually revealed to us there in Isaiah 54. Just look with me at this. I know it seems a little bit disjointed, but understand what this section here is about. It's following Isaiah 53's prophecy and promise. And it's pointing us to something glorious in that. In verse 4, he says, Fear not, based on what has happened in 53, fear not. For you will not be ashamed. Do not be confounded. For you will not be disgraced. For you will, you will forget the shame of your youth. Now oh, that's good news. And the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. Why? For your maker is your husband. Hmm. Who is that? The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. Who was that? Isaiah 53 tells you who that is. It's Jesus. He's the God of the whole earth, he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth. When she is cast off, says the Lord. For, for a brief moment, I deserted you. This is what it feels like to, to this bride, right? Because they're under affliction, under trials desolation because of even discipline for a brief moment i deserted you but with great compassion i will gather you wow in overflowing anger for a moment i hid my face from you but but with everlasting love i will have compassion on you says the lord your redeemer that's the rest of the story of isaiah 53 here, what's happening in chapter 54 is Isaiah is telling us that Jesus's resurrection that was promised is now the believer's eternal consolation in this present age, in this time of difficulty, this time of trial and affliction, battle with sin. This is your eternal consolation. Christ has won the victory. He reigns. He's alive. He's alive forevermore. And his resurrection assures us that these battles with sin that we now face and, and these struggles and afflictions that we go through in life, it assures us that God's covenant people are going to get through this. And in comparison to what Jesus has done to redeem us from this eternal curse of our sins and this fallen world, this, this light and moment, momentary affliction... In comparison to that, we have the eternal weight of Jesus's everlasting love and compassion for his redeemed people that was testified to in Isaiah 53. Look what he did for you. If he did the greater thing for you when you were yet his enemy, he died in your stead. Then he's going to do the lesser thing and going to continue to preserve you throughout this present age until the very end. Why? Because it's for his glory. And for his praise, to display the power of this resurrected Redeemer that we serve and have the honor of knowing personally. Church, we we are being called in Isaiah 53 to set our minds on that prophetic promise and hope today. We're to set our minds on that because it's what grants you as a Christian. It's what grants you eternal assurance. It's what grants you daily perseverance. Perseverance. And it's also what grants you present joy, even in the midst of your present trials in life and your daily struggles with sin. This is where you find hope. God's past promises that are fulfilled in his redeeming son's work. That's the first thing that God's word reveals to us. It reveals that Jesus' resurrection was prophetically revealed to grant us confidence in God's promises. Secondly, God's word also reveals to us that Jesus' resurrection, I love this, this was amazing to me when I began to study this, um, his resurrection was supernaturally announced. Now, we also know his incarnation was supernaturally announced, and it was by the same beings. It's supernaturally announced by the most joyful beings in all of creation, And that's that's important for us to understand. This announcement, this supernatural announcement that was brought to mankind at the resurrection of Jesus, it was brought to us to, to cultivate in us what is in them already. Present joy and praise in our mouth, not just now, but for all eternity. This is what the angels do. From all eternity, there have been a set of angels who cry, holy, 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 around God's throne, constantly in awe of the one who sent his son to save sinners like us. We find this supernatural announcement in Luke's gospel, in Luke 24, verses 1 to 7. This is what God reveals to us here. This is a supernatural announcement. (laughs) about Christ's resurrection that is to cultivate present joy and praise in our mouths for now and all eternity. I love this because the Bible is so honest with us. The reactions of men are honestly given to us here because we would be much like those who show up that day. It's important to read this, I think. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Hmm. While they were perplexed about this, I mean, he's already told you this. You've already been told. He's not going to be there, for he will rise from the dead. But while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men that is rise. I think the angels seem kind of surprised by the reaction of those at the tomb that day. Come on, you already knew this was coming. You, you've trusted in him throughout this earthly ministry that you followed him in and he's promised you things and he's always came true to his promises. He's always brought them to completion. And this is one that he has already told you about many times before, but they still, still seem perplexed by this. They didn't quite grasp it. And I think that the angels obviously grasped it. We know that. We know that they did so because they knew who had went into the tomb to begin with. They knew that the author of life couldn't remain in a grave. They knew that that grave could not hold Jesus since Jesus had no sin in him. That's why our bodies lie in the grave until they are raised up. With him in the future. He'll eradicate the sin that remains and make us like himself. So, even though those at the tomb seem to struggle to grasp this glorious announcement of the angels, we know that the angels did not struggle with this. They didn't struggle. And notice, this is what I want you to get. I want you to see the joy in this. They didn't struggle. No, they, they boldly and they joyfully proclaimed Christ's victory. This is just what he told you he would do. There's no long apologetic. There is this declaration of confidence because it is Jesus who has risen from the dead. God, the son. They, they understood they understood the heavenly weightiness of this glorious announcement they were given. That they, they personally understood that because they knew the power of the one that they were proclaiming. They knew the power of the one who would incarnate himself to redeem sinners like us. Now, I've thought long and hard about what the angels did when Jesus walked the earth. And, and on one level, I know they were holy, right? But I also feel like at times they had to be Struggling, like you guys don't know who this is. Look what he's doing. Come on, don't you see the glorious one? And so I've thought about what what transpired in the hearts and the the mind, if you will, of the angels during the time of Christ's earthly ministry. I think that all they longed for was this day. They longed to make this supernatural announcement from the very beginning. They must have longed to proclaim. This very announcement from the time of Christ's incarnation, they had to have wanted to proclaim how great the one is who came and took on flesh from the very beginning of his earthly ministry and his redeeming work. I'm sure they were longing. I bet they were eternally longing, supernaturally longing to declare the authority and the power of this one. The very one that they had to sit back and watch enter into the wilderness and be tempted by Diabolos, the devil. And I'm sure that they longed to declare in that moment, you have no authority over him and nothing to tempt him with. He is God, the son. Beyond that, I think they were ready to declare not just his authority and his power, but I think in the garden of Gethsemane, they were ready to declare his great love for sinners like us. Just imagine being an angel watching the son of God suffer. to Go through the agony of the garden and prayer and then the scourging and then the crucifixion they had to be ready to declare his great love when he went into that garden when he when he sweat great drops of blood in agony over our sins and what he would go through in our place at the cross there had to be angst in the angels if that's possible at watching him go through this in my maybe not holy imagination but in my imagination I often think that maybe they were they were eager to say something like this to Jesus. Oh Lord Jesus, you should not suffer like this. Let us let us come in. Let us intervene. Let us step up. But nevertheless, this is the will of God. And this is what you desire. It's what you desire to do to redeem your children from their sins. So we will step back. I'm sure. The day of his resurrection was an exciting day to the angels. I'm sure that they loved on that day to proclaim his glory at his resurrection. Because they knew that his resurrection did a many, many wonderful things for mankind. It vindicated the holiness of Jesus, their creator. And it also vindicated the holiness of our incarnate Savior. Our substitute. The one who took our place. And saints... This is the longing that the angels still have today. They, they want to continually, and they will continually, for all eternity, sing the praises of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, their creator and our incarnate savior. And saints, we and all the redeemed will be singing there with them in glory. We'll be singing this song, the song they supernaturally announced, that he is not dead, he is risen. We find that song in Revelation 5 that we'll be singing with the angels. That heavenly chorus will echo throughout eternity. We see it here in 5. And this is, again, something that we really need to ponder. What is the theme of heaven? The Lord Jesus Christ. Who he is, what he did, what he is doing throughout eternity. Is the one who sustains us by his grace and his very presence. Verse 11, then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels number, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. It's stated that way because there's not a word in the Greek here for millions or billions. Right. Myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. (laughs) And then you hear the reaction. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down And worshipped, they worship the risen one. This is the song that they sing in heaven. This is the song we'll sing for eternity. Everything in heaven is cross-centered. It's Christ-centric. It's there declaring, "This is the one who brought you here. He has accomplished this work for you." Set your mind on that, saints. Set your mind on this, that the host of heaven and all the redeemed in glory will long and will forever sing this resurrection song. Now, that comes to a point of application. If this is the pinnacle and the glorious work we will do in heaven, why aren't we doing it now? Do we sing this song today with joy and boldness like the angels we could and we should if our minds were so fixed on the resurrection and the glory of our savior we would do this i think that we would declare his glorious work boldly joyfully now and for eternity i think that's the desire that we have think about this we are we are simply Clay pots, right, that he has poured his glory into through the work of his son. And, and then then those clay pots go into the earth and they deserve to dissolve and become nothing. But no, he takes our soul to be with himself and then promises us one day because of the resurrection of Christ. He's going to raise up those clay pots and make them vessels of honor, not privy pots. He's going to raise us up and transform us. And we will be able to gather around the throne with a host of holy angels singing this glorious resurrection song. Saints, that ought to excite you this morning. That should cause you to want to go do evangelism. This should be the impetus of what drives you. Isaiah says in Isaiah 6, when he had a vision of God and his kingdom and his glory... He came undone. He came unraveled at the seams in the holy presence of God. And says every one of us would do the same if it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who promised to bring us there bodily so that we would for eternity be able to declare his praise both with our soul and our bodies by singing praises to his name and serving him throughout eternity. When we set our minds on this, on the glory of Christ's resurrection, I think it will do many things for us. I think that when you set your mind on this, it will cultivate holy boldness and praise in the Christian's life. And I think it will compel us to be like the angels and proclaim this glorious news to others with confidence because of God's promises in his word. That's why we do it. We do that because God's word reveals to us that Jesus' resurrection was, like I said, prophetically revealed to us and supernaturally announced to us. And then then thirdly, his resurrection was physically verified to us and it was verified to us to grant us eternal joy and justification before God. That's what brings us before God with confidence today. The physical verification of Jesus' incarnate work at the resurrection. Now, I've already read a text of Scripture that talked about this and this hope that we have and how it was verified. But let's go back and read it again. It's in 1 Corinthians 15. Because I stopped a little short and I want to continue to show you that Jesus' resurrection was physically verified. It was revealed, right? They saw him. It was testified to. Look at verses 1 to 8 this time. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then notice this. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. That's important. They confirmed this. Though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, Jesus' half-brother. Then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. I think Paul was forever astounded by that. Paul, the chief of sinners, whose life testifies that if Jesus can save Paul, anyone is savable. He appeared to me? He did that in a radical way on the road to Damascus. Verifiably showed up and shook Paul's world and changed him from the inside out. But here in 1 Corinthians 15, we learn that Jesus, right, God the Son, he verifiably took on flesh. He became a man. He became a man. And we see that his physical resurrection was then witnessed to by many people surrounding him, it was verified. Now, this is amazingly good news for us today. It's amazingly good news because Paul is telling us something very important. He's telling us that the prophecies, remember the prophecies, the prophecies of the Old Testament about God's promised Messiah, those prophecies, well, they were verified on that day. It came to pass. And and he's also telling us here that the announcement of those angels, oh, it is now confirmed Not by them only, but by many who have seen the resurrected Lord. It's confirmed by them. It's confirmed by us. It's confirmed by all who have been transformed by this resurrection power of Christ. His physical resurrection is such an important aspect of our faith. Because what it does is it testifies to us about something critical to our salvation. It testifies that the perfect human life that Jesus lived... And the death that he endured on the cross, it was a perfect offering to God on behalf of all those who would believe in God's promised salvation. He was the perfect offering in our place to God on behalf of our sins. Now, that has major theological implications in it because it means that his resurrection proved that he was not merely a human, a good man or a prophet but rather he was divine, that is God in human flesh. And he had to be truly man to do this, yet he had to be truly God to absorb this wrath that was coming. He had to be truly man and truly God to absorb the eternal wrath of God the Father against all the sins of all his people of all time. And if you believe in him today, that means he took on flesh for you. That's the only way that sinners could ever be justified or declared righteous in God's sight. God the Son had to take our place so that God the Father could pour out all that we deserved upon Him and then crush His Son under the curse that we deserve. And only God in human flesh could have sustained this and lived again. Only God in human flesh was able to do this for us and then rise again to say that, oh, yeah, that payment I said was paid in full at the cross. It's been now fully accepted by God, the father on your behalf. I am alive. Death could not hold me. I was your sinless substitute. And my resurrection testifies to this. This is theologically massive for us. And it should freshly amaze us. It should freshly amaze us today if we are Christians, because in this revelation, we we have a a humbling reminder of who we were apart from Christ and what we did and how it offended God apart from Christ. It's a humbling reminder that our, our sins were so severe. Every sin we've committed against God and his word, every sin that we've ever committed was so severe that it had to be dealt with by death. For that was the wages of sin, is death. The wages that we had earned. It had to be death because man has broken God's law. And that means that man, therefore, must die in order to uphold God's holy justice. Either Jesus does it for you, or you have to stand under his wrath for eternity for your sins. But what do we have in the gospel? God the Son steps in. And the resurrection testifies to the efficiency, the efficacy of his work. God, the son, willingly takes on flesh to uphold God's justice in our place. And then he verified in his resurrection that God's mercy and his love is extended to all those who believe in this great one who redeemed them from their sins. Saints, that's why the apostle Paul comes to the end of his struggle in Romans 7 with sin and his flesh and all that's going on there. And he proclaims, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have been justified in the resurrection of Christ, declared righteous in God's sight. We were declared righteous in God's sight because Jesus, the Lamb of God that lived the perfect life that we could never live, he became the scapegoat. He became the scapegoat who... Goat who bore our sins and took away our guilt and then forever released us from God's wrath because he became our sin bearer. He willingly carried our sin and our guilt to the cross. And how did he do that? He did it as our substitute in our place personally, sacrificially. By doing that, he appeased the wrath of God then not only as our substitute, but as our sacrifice for our sins And then beyond that, he died on the cross and he was buried. He did that as our representative once again. He is our substitute. He is our sacrifice. He is our representative. He appeased God's wrath. He died. He was buried. But he didn't stay in the grave. Amazingly, three days later, after he was crucified, up from the grave, Christ arose victoriously, and he did so for our justification before God. Church, only one who is truly human and truly divine could have done this. Only one who is truly human and truly divine could receive the eternal wrath of God in our place, declare it is finished, and then rise again to say this. I will be with you always. To the end of the age. Only the eternal one can do that. The holy one. The redeemer. Our substitute and savior. Jesus Christ. Saints, our, our savior is alive. And he has promised us in his life. To be with us forever. He dwells in his people. He'll be with us forever because he did this for us. He defeated sin in our place. He defeated, defeated Satan in our place. He defeated death in our place. And he did all that so that we can now have confidence that he is now spiritually at work in us, conforming us more and more into his image. But that's not all there is to his resurrection power. There's more to the story. His resurrection power goes beyond just the spiritual transformation of our hearts to guarantee that one day physically we will be with him for eternity. Believe it or not, this is the power of the resurrection. He's going to raise us up to be like himself, eradicate sin in our flesh when he comes again to reign in glory. That's what first Corinthians goes on to say in chapter 15, verses 19 to 24. If then Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every ruler and every authority and power. Hmm. Christ has promised us in his resurrection to raise us up to be with him one day. So his his resurrection then will universally magnify his greatness and his grace through our bodily resurrection one day in his presence. It'll do that because it says here that he was the first fruits of those who would never see corruption or eternal death. He never died again and never could he was sinless. Look on down in 1 Corinthians again, 1550. Once again, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. We shall be changed, transformed by the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be transformed. That's the purpose in our redemption is to magnify Jesus for eternity and to praise him for who he is and what he's done to make us his own. Look at Revelation 21. This is what transformed in the twinkling of an eye people look like because of the power of Christ. And this is what they'll be doing. And what they will see Revelation 21 verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. Now we know that they have resurrected bodies because look what it says next He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy. And true, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. That is our heritage, saints. That's what God has promised us in the resurrection of Christ. We're going to be in his presence. He's going to be with us caring for us, showing us his glory for all eternity. I think if we set our minds on that future hope and promise, right, assurance, I think that should have present consequences to our life. If we're going to be transformed one day to be in his presence and magnify his greatness and his grace for all eternity, I think that that truth that brings us there should now transform us in this very present age. That leads me to my last point. And the last point is this, that God's word clearly reveals to us that the resurrection of Jesus is to be powerfully evidenced by all those who truly trust in his life. It's to be done that way in order to assure us that we are united to Christ for all eternity. Go to Ephesians 2, because I think this is an important text related to that. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 4. Here in Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul tells us that Everyone who trusts in Jesus savingly, right, by faith in what he did, who he is, what he's accomplished. All those who trust in Jesus, all those will be transformed by Jesus's resurrection power, not just in eternity, but now presently. That's what Ephesians 2, 4 to 10 ends with. That's what it tells us. Look what it says. First it says we were dead in our sins and trespasses. We walked in darkness. We followed the prince of the power of this of this world, the air, right? We lived in the passions of our flesh, sexual deviancies. Our minds were corrupt like children of wrath, it's the way we lived. But in verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? Well, for that future, that future praise and magnification of his grace so that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. But he's going to move beyond the future back down to the present in the next verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his poeme, his product, his workmanship, his poem of praise, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's presently. So the resurrection of Jesus is to be powerfully evidenced by those who believe in our transformed lives. That's what assures us that we are truly united to Christ, that we're in Christ. Paul's telling us that very clearly here. He's saying, look, your, your eternal life and obedience is, is given for this very reason. It's to testify that Christ is Lord and he is alive and he's reigning in your life, not just in the future, but presently. That's what your spiritual life and your good works are created to reveal. That's good news for the believer. It's also challenging news because we are weak and we struggle with sin. But I've got some important news to share with those among us this morning that may not understand what it means to be transformed by this resurrection power. You may not understand it because you're still living in your sins. You're dominated by Satan, dominated by sin and rebellion. And there's no repentance in your heart, no desire to turn away from your sins and turn in faith to the living Savior, Jesus Christ, and leave those sins behind. You want to hang on to them. You want to have them as pet sins you keep in your back pocket to pull out when you want to have some sort of satisfaction immediately in life. If you're still living with that, you're still living in that kind of mentality without repentance, then sadly, you have absolutely no reason to believe that you are living in the power of Christ's resurrection. You have no assurance of your salvation. You have no assurance of your salvation because we're really seeing clearly here in Ephesians 2 that when Christ saves us. We are saved by his life-giving power. That very same power that transforms us is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And listen, if you're born again, there's going to be a transformation. If you're continuing on in sin without repentance, you are not united to Christ. And you will be damned in your sins if you continue on without looking to Christ today. He raised the believer up out of spiritual death to live in the power of his resurrection and righteous life. And he does that to to magnify who he is, to magnify his glorious work, his resurrection power, not just in eternity, but now presently. This is a great, great hope that we have here. It's a great reality of scripture for our sanctification comes from what Christ has accomplished not when we gut up from our inside out, he does the work inside of us. His resurrection power is at work transforming us, conforming us to the image of his own glorious nature and desire of his heart. That is to walk in obedience to the Father's will. Christ is the guarantee that we can do that. He's my only guarantee that I can be obedient. Obedient to God, that I can be pleasing to God. I can't please God in my obedience because I'm always falling short, but Christ never did. He stood in my place, and His resurrection power is what works conviction in my heart now by His Spirit to look to what He's accomplished and trust in the Father's gift and how that it was accepted in our place. I pray that that's your hope today, but I do fear that some of you here this morning are starting to feel the weight of your sins, the sins you've yet to repent of, the sins you want to hang on to. Is going to change your life radically to let go? And I fear that some of you fear if you don't let go because of what I'm telling you this morning, you're going to face God's wrath. That's what I'm concerned about this morning. And for those of you who are still feeling the weight of your sin and fearing the wrath to come, here's what I want to do. I want to beg you to look to Christ Turn from your sins and turn to the living Savior. He alone can set you free from condemnation and the penalty that you deserve. Look to the cross. Look to his cross. Because there's where you find God's love and justice met on your behalf. It met there to free you from the guilt of your sin and moral failures. And it met there to free you from God's wrath. But, but listen, don't just look at the cross. Trust in the one who was on the cross. Your substitute. Taking the penalty you deserve. Look at that cross and see what Jesus has done to pay your sin debt. But then don't keep looking at the cross. Look quickly at the empty tomb. Look at that tomb because that's the place that testifies that what Jesus did was accepted on your behalf before God. Jesus, the Lamb of God, there at that resurrection day, powerfully testifies that he has conquered the power of sin, Satan, and death in our place. That's what that empty tomb tells us today. Knowing that he is not in that tomb, we have this great confidence from the book of Hebrews. It tells us that knowing that he's not in that tomb, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Why? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Church, rejoice in that today. He is making intercession for you because he is alive and he loves you. He gave himself up for you. Rejoice in our resurrected Redeemer Rejoice in his empty tomb because it does again testify to us that he is our ever living and loving savior. He is our reigning king and he is also our interceding great high priest. And in his life, here's what we find. For those of you who do not know him today, this is what you will find if you look to him in faith. You'll find the salvation of your souls. You'll find the sanctification of your life and you'll find the strength to persevere by his grace, even in this fallen and dark world, because in him, here's what you find. Ultimately, you find life eternal and abundant, according to the assurance of God's holy and inerrant word. And that's what I want to leave you with this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for in it we are privileged, honored and amazed to see the glorious work of redemption that you accomplish in sending forth your son to take our place. And on this resurrection day, Lord Jesus, we want to give you thanks once again and praise you for your willing sacrifice and your great love with which you loved us. Even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, you saved us. You raised us up by your grace, God. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for opening our eyes. And I do pray, Holy Spirit, that you would grant those who do not have eyes to see this morning That you would grant them ability to understand, discern, grasp, believe in Jesus and who he is and what he's done to save sinners. I pray that you are honored through this day and this time together in your word. I pray all that in Christ's name. Amen.